Hello, my darling, and welcome to today's story time. Join us in the hunt for the Elder God Cthulhu by becoming a channel member on YouTube or Patreon. All links are in the description. And please, like, comment, and subscribe. And now, on with our story time. The Dream Quest of Unknown Three times Randolph Carter dreamed of the marvelous city, and three times was he snatched away, while still he paused on the high terrace above it. All golden and lovely it blazed in the sunset, with walls, temples, colonnades, and arched bridges of veined marble silver-basined fountains of prismatic spray in broad squares and perfumed gardens and wide streets marching between delicate trees and blossom-laden urns and ivory statues in gleaming rows while on steep northward slopes climbed tiers of red roofs and old peak gables harboring little lanes of grassy cobbles. It was a fever of the gods, a fanfare of supernal trumpets and a clash of immortal cymbals. Mystery hung about it as clouds about a fabulous, unvisited mountain. And as Carter stood breathless and expectant on that balustrated parapet, there swept up to him the poignancy and suspense of almost vanished memory, the pain of lost things, and the maddening need to place again what once had an awesome and momentous place. He knew that for him its meaning must once have been supreme, though in what cycle or incarnation he had known it, or whether in dream or in waking, he could not tell. Vaguely it called up glimpses of a far, forgotten first youth, when wonder and pleasure lay in all the mystery of days, and dawn and dusk alike strode forth prophetic to the eager sounds of lutes and song, unclosing fairy gates toward further and surprising marvels. But each night, as he stood on that high marble terrace with the curious urns and carven rail, and looked off over that hushed sunset city of beauty and unearthly eminence, he felt the bondage of dreams tyrannous gods, for in no wise could he leave that lofty spot or descend the wide armorial flights flung endlessly down where those streets of elder witchery lay outspread and beckoning. When for the third time he awakened with those flights still undescended, and those hushed sunset streets still untraversed, he prayed long and earnestly to the hidden gods of dream that brood capricious above the clouds on unknown Kadath in the cold wastes where no man treads. But 
the gods made no answer and showed no relenting, nor did they give any favoring sign when he prayed to them in dream and invoked them sacrificially through the bearded priest Nasht and Kaman Tha, whose cavern temple with its pillar of flame lies not far from the gates of the waking world. It seemed, however, that his prayers must have been adversely hurt, for after even the first of them, he ceased wholly to behold the marvelous city, as if his three glimpses from afar had been mere accidents or oversights, and against some hidden plan or wish of the gods. At length, sick with longing for those glittered sunset streets, and cryptical hill lanes among ancient tiled roofs, nor able sleeping or waking to drive them from his mind. Carter resolved to go with bold entreaty, whither no man had gone before, and dare the icy deserts through the dark, to where unknown Kadath, veiled in cloud and crowned with unimagined stars, holds secret and nocturnal, the onyx castle of the great ones. In light slumber he descended the seventy steps to the cavern of flame and talked of this design to the bearded priest, Nasht and Kamantha. And the priest shook their pheasant-bearing heads and vowed it would be the death of his soul. They pointed out that the great ones had shown already their wish and that it is not agreeable to them to be harassed by insistent pleas. They reminded him, too, that not only had no man ever been to unknown Kadath, but no man had ever suspected in what part of space it may lie, whether it be in the dreamlands around our world, or in those surrounding some unguessed companion of Fomahalt, or Aldebaran. If in our dreamland it might conceivably be reached, but only three fully human souls since time began had ever crossed and recrossed the black impious gulfs to other dreamlands, and of that all three had come back quite mad. There were in such voyages incalculable local dangers as well as that shocking final peril which gibbers unmentionably outside the ordered universe where no dreams reach, that last amorphous blight of nethermost confusion which blasphemes and bubbles at the center of all infinity, the boundless demon sultan Azathoth, whose name no lips dare speak aloud, and who gnaws hungrily in inconceivable, unlighted chambers beyond time, amidst the muffled, maddening beating of vile drums and the thin, monotonous whine of accursed flutes, to which detestable pounding and piping dance slowly, awkwardly, and absurdly, the gigantic, ultimate gods, the blind, voiceless, tenebrous, mindless other gods, whose soul and messenger is the crawling chaos 
Yarlathotep. Of these things was Carter warned by the priests in the cavern of Plam. But still he resolved to find the gods on unknown Kadath in the cold waste, wherever that might be, and to win from them the sight and remembrance and shelter of the marvelous sunset city. He knew that his journey would be strange and long, and that the great ones would be against it. But being old in the land of dream, he counted on many useful memories and devices to aid him. So asking a farewell blessing of the priests, and thinking shrewdly on his course, he boldly descended the seven hundred steps to the gate of deeper slumber, and set out through the enchanted wood. In the tunnels of that twisted wood, whose low, prodigious oaks, twine groping boughs, and shine dim with the phosphorescence of strange fungi, there dwell the furtive and secretive zoogs, who know many obscure secrets of the dream world, and a few of the waking world, since the wood at two places touches the lands of men, though it would be disastrous to say where. Certain unexplained rumors, events, and vanishments occur among men where the Zoogs have access, and it is well that they cannot travel far outside the world of dream, but over the nearer parts of the dream world they pass freely, flitting small and brown and unseen, and bearing back piquant tales to beguile the hours around their hearths in the forest they love. Most of them live in burrows, but some inhabit the trunks of great trees, and although they live mostly on fungi, it is muttered that they have also a slight taste for meat, either physical or spiritual, for certainly many dreamers have entered that wood who would not have come out. Carter, however, had no fear, for he was an old dreamer and had learnt their fluttering language, and made many a treaty with them. He found, through their help, the splendid city of Selephase, in Uthnargai, beyond the Tenarian hills, where reigns half the year, the great king, Kuranes, a man he had known by another name in life. Kuranes was the one soul who had been to the star gulfs, and returned free from madness. Threading now the low phosphorescent aisles between those gigantic trunks, Carter made fluttering sounds in the manner of the zooks, and listened now and then for responses. He remembered one particular village of the creatures near the center of the wood, where a circle of great mossy stones in what was once a clearing Tells of older and more terrible dwellers long forgotten. And towards this spot he hastened. He traced his way by the grotesque fungi, which always seem better nourished as one approaches the dread circle where elder beings danced and sacrificed. Finally, the greater light of those thicker fungi 
reveal the sinister green and gray vastness pushing up through the roof of the forest and out of sight. This was the nearest of the great ring of stones, and Carter knew he was close to the Zug village. Renewing his fluttering sound, he waited patiently and was at length rewarded by an impression of many eyes watching him. It was the Zugs, for one sees their weird eyes long before one can discern their small, slippery, brown outlines. Out they swarmed, from hidden burrow and honeycombed tree, till the whole dim-litten region was alive with them. Some of the wilder ones brushed Carter unpleasantly, and one even nipped loathsomely at his ear. But these lawless spirits were soon restrained by their elders, the Council of Sages, recognizing the visitor, offered a gourd of fermented sap from a haunted tree, unlike the others, which had grown from a seed dropped down by someone on the moon. And as Carter drank it ceremoniously, a very strange colloquy began. The Zugs did not, unfortunately, know where the peak of Kadath lies. Nor could they even say whether the cold waste is in our dream world or in another. Rumors of the Great Ones came equally from all points, and one might only say that they were likelier to have seen on high mountain peaks than in valleys, since on such peaks they dance reminiscently when the moon is above and the clouds are beneath. Then one very ancient Zug recalled a thing unheard of by the others, and said that in Ulthar, beyond the river sky, there still lingered the last copy of those inconceivably old panoptic manuscripts made by waking men in forgotten boreal kingdoms and born into the land of dreams. This occurred when the hairy cannibal Nopkas overcame many templed Olithel and slew all of the heroes of the land of Lomar. Those manuscripts, he said, told much of the gods. And besides, in Ulthar, there were men who had seen the signs of gods, and even one old priest who had scaled a great mountain to behold them dancing by moonlight. He had failed though his companion had succeeded and perished namelessly. So Randolph Carter thanked the Zoogs, who fluttered amicably and gave him another gourd of moon-tree wine to take with him. He set out through the phosphorescent wood for the other side, where the rushing sky flows down from the slopes of Lorion, and Hathag and Mir and Ulthar dot the plain. Behind him, furtive and unseen, crept several of the curious Zugs, for they wished to learn what might befall him and bear back the legend to their people. The vast oaks grew thicker as he pushed on beyond the village, and he looked sharply for a certain spot where they would thin somewhat, standing quite dead or dying among the unnaturally dense fungi and the rotting mold 
and mushy logs of their fallen brothers. There he would turn sharply aside, for at that spot a mighty slab of stone rests on the forest floor, and those who have dared approach it say that it bears an iron ring three feet wide. Remembering the archaic circle of great mossy rocks and what was possibly set up for, the Zooks do not pause near that expansive slab with its huge ring, for they realize that all which is forgotten need not necessarily be dead, and they would not like to see the slab rise slowly and deliberately. Carter detoured at the proper place and heard behind him the frightened fluttering of some of the more timid zooks. He had known they would follow him, so he was not disturbed, for one grows accustomed to the anomalies of these prying creatures. It was twilight when he came to the edge of the wood, and the strengthening glow told him it was the twilight of morning. Over fertile plains rolling down the sky, he saw the smoke of cottage chimneys, and on every hand were the hedges and ploughed fields and thatched roofs of a peaceful land. He stopped at a farmhouse well for a cup of water, and all the dogs barked in fright at the inconspicuous sooks had crept through the grass behind. At another house, where people were stirring, he asked questions about the gods and whether they danced often upon Lorion. But the farmer and his wife would only make the elder sign and tell him the way to Nier and Ulthar. At noon, he walked through the one broad street high of Nier, which he had once visited and which marked his farthest former travels in this direction. And soon afterward, he came to the great stone bridge across the sky, into whose central pier the masons had sealed a living human sacrifice when they built it thirteen hundred years before. Once on the other side, the frequent presence of cats, who all arched their backs at the trailing zooks, revealed the near neighborhood of Ulthar. For in Ulthar, according to an ancient and significant law, no man may kill a cat. Very pleasant were the suburbs of Ulthar, with their little green cottages and neatly fenced farms, and still pleasanter was the quaint town itself, with its old peaked roofs and overhanging upper stories and numberless chimney pots and narrow hill streets where one can see old cobbles whenever the graceful cats afford space enough. Carter, the cats being somewhat dispersed by the half-seen zooks, picked his way directly to the modest temple of the Elder Ones. The priests in old records were said to be here, and once within that venerable circle tower of ivied stone, which crowns Ulthar's highest hill, he sought out the patriarch Atal, who had been up on the forbidden peak in Hothig Claw, in the stony desert, and had come down again alive. Atal, seated on an ivory dais in the festooned shrine at the top of the temple, 
was fully three centuries old, but still very keen of mind and memory. From him, Carter learned many things about the gods, but mainly that they are indeed only Earth's gods, ruling feebly our own dreamland and having no power or habitation elsewhere. They might, Atoll said, repeat a man's prayer, if in good humor, but one must not think of climbing to their onyx stronghold atop Kadath in the cold waste. It was lucky that no man knew where Kadath towers, for the fruits of ascending it would be very grave. Atoll's companion, Barzai the Wise, had been drawn screaming into the sky for climbing merely the known peak of Hothag Claw, with unknown Kadath, if ever found, matters would be much worse, for although Earth's gods may sometimes be surpassed by a wise mortal, they are protected by the other gods from outside, whom it is better not to discuss. At least twice in the world's history, the other gods set their seal upon Earth's primal granite, once in antediluvian times, as guessed from a drawing in those parts of the panoptic manuscripts too ancient to read, and once on Hothang Claw, when Barzai the Wise tried to see Earth's gods dancing by moonlight. And thus, Atal said, it would be much better to leave all gods alone, except in tactful prayers. Carter, although disappointed by Atal's discouraging advice, and by the meager help to be found in the panoptic manuscripts and the seven cryptical books of Asan, did not wholly despair. First, he questioned the old priest about that marvelous sunset city seen from the railed terrace, thinking that perhaps he might find it without the god's aid, but Atal could tell him nothing. Probably, Atal said, the place belonged to his special dream world, and not to the general land of vision that many know. And conceivably, it might be on another planet. In that case, Earth's gods could not guide him if they wanted to. But this was not likely, since the stopping of the dreams showed pretty clearly that it was something the Great Ones wished to hide from him. And this, my darling, ends our story time for today. As always, I hope that you have very sweet and creepy dreams. Good night.